Loud. Um, I think we're ready to get started. Um, looks like we're a little lighter. People are enjoying the pretty weather, I think, outside. But thank y'all for your faithfulness every week. I appreciate y'all. I think all of y'all have been here all the time, so thanks for being here. Um, as you know, we're studying the life of Daniel um, and the God he so faithfully served. Your handout has our list on here. I'm not going to make you read over it or um, again tonight. But um, I do hope that you found yourself reflecting more on God's sovereignty, his presence, his authority, his prescience, his love, his compassion, um, and the way that he reveals truth to us. So that's the point of our study, is to, to reflect on who God is and allow these truths to change us so that we can bring glory to him. So let's pray together and we'll get going on this week. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. We ask you to teach us tonight through our time together. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, week one, we covered chapter one. Week two, we covered chapter two. So you would think that we would cover chapter three tonight, right? Well, we're speeding up. And we're not doing chapter 3 because Daniel's not in it. That's right. Daniel, remember we're doing the life of Daniel in the book of Daniel. And Daniel's not in it. He's not in chapter 3. Instead, chapter 3 is the wonderful story of God's faithfulness and his protection over Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's one of my favorite stories in all of scripture. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar builds that statue out on the plain. He calls everybody to come and bow down to it. But they wouldn't. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said no. They wouldn't bow even when they said, but the punishment is to be thrown into this fiery furnace. Don't you want to bow? And their response was incredible. Um, he, they said, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image you've set up. Well, that made the king so angry that he heated the furnace up seven times hotter than usual and threw them on in. It was so hot. Come on in, come on in, Lana, you're great. Here you go. We're kind of reviewing chapter 3 really quickly, and then we'll get going. Have a seat. Um, he heated up that furnace seven times hotter, threw them in. It even burned the people who were throwing them in. But they, they were not burned. They were not singed. They didn't even have the smell of smoke. And even more, there weren't just three of them in there. There was one in there that... Scripture tells us looked had the appearance like a son of God's. We know who that was. This so astounded King Nebuchadnezzar, he made a new decree that nobody would speak badly about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's an amazing story, and we could learn a lot from it, but we're not going to talk about it tonight. Even though I've just talked about it, we're not going to talk about it. <laughs> but why wasn't Daniel a part of the story? Well, the answer is really... We don't know. 
I mean, chapter 2 ends with new assignments for all of the men. Let's go ahead and look at that. Remember at the very end of last week, the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king. And he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. So in a way, they were separated even back then. Daniel had a job to do in the king's court. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had some other things, had other areas of authority. Some scholars believe that Daniel may have been away on king's business, or maybe it was his high position that he was not required to bow down, or maybe it was even that those that accused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego dared not accuse Daniel. We really don't know. But we do know where Daniel was in chapter 4. So that's what we're going to begin with. We're going to cover both chapters 4 and 5 tonight, so hang with me. We're not going to read every verse. I'm going to summarize some parts Um, but we will read quite a bit. Before we read, let's kind of take a look at what the timeline of events was. In 605 BC, that's when Daniel was deported to Babylon. That's chapter 1. 603, he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the statue. So think about that again. He was only like 18 to 20 years old during that time when he did that. It's pretty amazing. Uh, It was 580 BC, so quite a bit of time had passed before Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the furnace. And then this chapter, chapter 4, the dream actually happened in 570 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar dreamed and Daniel interpreted. And that's what we'll talk quite a bit about. So if he was 16 to 18 when he was brought to Babylon, then he was probably early 50s when this dream happened. But really... Where chapter 4 begins here, well, it was after the dream. So he was probably late 50s at the time that Nebuchadnezzar was saying this. Chapter 4 begins with the end of the story. The dream and what happened after the dream. And this chapter is actually told by King Nebuchadnezzar. He's the person talking, and he tells the story eight years after the dream. So let's read the first few verses and see what King Nebuchadnezzar had to say. And it was actually eight years after the dream itself. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Starts off pretty incredible. I mean, this pagan king begins by praising God, calling him the Most High God. If this was written in Hebrew, then it would be the name El Elyon, but this is in Aramaic, and so it's just the, I don't even know what the word is exactly, but it means God over all, most high God. And I could have had that be one of your blanks for tonight, um, that God is most high God, but I didn't, (laughs) Um, because we already have that God is sovereign, 
And we already have that God is the God of gods and Lord of kings. And both of those describe God's preeminence, his position as the highest of high, the most high God. So I, th- I decided not to put that as one of your blanks. But what was it that made the king, this pagan king, praise God in this way? You might think, well, it must have been what has happened thus far. Daniel's interpretation of the first dream or his deliverance, God's deliverance of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But it doesn't seem to be the case. What caused him to really recognize that God was God most high were the events of chapter 4. So what are those events? I'm going to summarize some of it. The king had a dream and the dream troubled him. The dream showed a tree in the middle of the earth that grew very, very tall and strong and its shade provided shelter for birds and animals and it provided food for all. But then a watcher came down and chopped it down, put a band around the trunk of the tree, the stump, and it remained in the field for seven time periods. And it's really interesting. If you read it, you'll see that it says... It starts talking about the tree and saying it, it, it. But then when it gets to this point, it starts saying he in referring to the tree. And he, the tree, became like an animal. And then it sums up his dream um, by saying that the purpose so that all would know that God is God most high. So that was the dream. He called his magicians, his enchanters, his, the Chaldeans, the astrologers, all of his people together and told them the dream and said, what does it mean? This is what I dreamed. What does it mean? And they couldn't interpret it. So once again, enters Daniel. And now I summarized the dream for us, but we're going to hear more details because Daniel's going to tell what the dream is, what it means, And um, you'll hear a little bit more details and we can talk about as we go. All right, here we go. This is Daniel chapter 4, verses 19 and following. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord... May the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all under which beast of the field found shade and in whose branches the birds of the heaven lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. Do you hear Daniel's reticence to share the interpretation there in verse 19? Scripture says he was dismayed for a while. That's what this uh, version says. Some versions say astonished. Some say appalled. Some say greatly perplexed. I mean, think about Daniel. This is kind of a bad news dream. Um, You're the tree, king, and you're going to be cut down. Not good news. So he's delivering this message to this pagan king, and this pagan king that he had 
been with for 35 years now, since he was a teenager. He may well have had some fondness for the king, too. It troubled Daniel, troubled the king. It must have been frightening for him to deliver it. But Daniel, can't you just see him taking a big breath? And he was honest. And that's your first blank. Daniel was honest. Despite the possibility of angering this powerful king, Daniel spoke truth. Reminded me of Ephesians 4. When Paul tells the church in Ephesus, he says, God has given us shepherds and teachers and evangelists that are going to equip us. And it says, the reason he's given them is so that they may, we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. When the world is crazy and people are being carried away by false doctrine, we, you and I, are to speak truth in love. When people ask you what you think like the king did to Daniel, we're supposed to answer them lovingly but with truth. We don't. We're just allowing that person to walk further and further away from the Lord. We have to know truth by studying scripture. And then when we're called upon, we must, like Daniel, be honest. We must speak truth. Daniel spoke truth. He even confirmed the greatness of Nebuchadnezzar. He said, King, you're that tree the tree that gives shelter and food to all, the tree that is huge and growing and great. You see, Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon was, it was pretty incredible itself. According to the historian Herodotus, Babylon was just, it's on your handout too, I think, but 14 miles square, brick wall 56 miles long, 300 feet wide, high, 25 feet thick, And then a second wall inside that was 75 feet behind the first wall. 250 towers that protected it. Had a deep moat encircling it. The Euphrates River flowed through the middle. So think of how that provided water and food and everything for them. Um, It even had drawbridges, it said, that closed it up at night. Had the hanging gardens and the plants there in these gardens were, wa- were watered by water pumped by hydraulic pumps. It was sealed by eight massive gates that led to the inner city. And it was paved in streets with stone slabs three feet square. It was quite the place. Nebuchadnezzar had built a strong, growing city. And he is still considered the greatest king that ever ruled in Babylon. But here in Daniel 4, God through Daniel says, you are that great, powerful tree, king. But I want you to look, what else does it say about that tree? It's in verses 20 and 22. What does it say? I can put it back up here, maybe. What does it say? 
What do you see in verse 20 and 22 that are the same? Strong. That's one I didn't see. Thank you. That's good. Good. Anything else? Visible from the ends of the earth. Visible from the ends of the earth. It also said, I think, in reaches to heaven. Yes. Reaches to heaven. That's the one I was going for. Reaches to heaven. Something so tall that reached to heaven. Does that remind you of anything? Something so tall whose goal was to reach to heaven. Tower of Babel, yes. In their pride and self-sufficiency, the people of that day decided to build this huge, tall structure that would reach to heaven. And God looked down and said, not going to happen. You think you're great enough to reach up here with me? I don't think so. Well, I think that's a bit of what happened here, too. In the dream, King Nebuchadnezzar's pride and his efforts for personal greatness in the form of a tree was attempting to reach to heaven. And just like what happened to the, tower, to the people at the Tower of Babel, I think this is a bit of foreshadowing about what's going to happen to this prideful King Nebuchadnezzar. Let's keep going. So Daniel is still telling the dream, and he says, And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, believe the stump of its root in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beast of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It's a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, And you shall be wet till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stumps of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Okay, so let's talk about a few things in that chunk. Uh, First of all, verse 23 says, watcher, watcher. And then it says, a holy one. Daniel doesn't explain it very much here, but this particular Aramaic word is used only here in the Old Testament. And a watcher is thought to refer to a heavenly being. I think some of the versions might say an angelic watcher. Do some of you say that? Maybe? Okay. Um, It's thought to refer to a heavenly being who watches and carries out tasks for God, an angel. It suggests, though, to us that these celestial beings do not sleep. 
And we know that from a couple of places in Scripture. Psalm 121.4 says um, that he who watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleep. Um, and then in Revelation 4.8, of course, it says that day and night they never cease um, shouting, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Or holy, holy is the Lord, worthy is the Lamb. Well, Daniel tells that the king that this watcher cut the tree down and banded it and left it in the field meant that the king was going to be cut down from his kingdom and left out in a field like an animal eating grass. It's crazy, isn't it? I mean, you just can hardly say it out loud. Um, but that's what Daniel told the king and said it would happen until seven time periods had passed, and then his kingdom would be restored. Daniel does something crazy, though, to me here, too. He starts to give this king advice, this powerful king who is like a tree providing for the whole, whole area, whole region, and he gives him advice. Made me think of Joseph giving advice to the Pharaoh when he told him about the dreams of the fat cows and the skinny cows. And he told them, he said, so this is what you need to do, Pharaoh. Well, well, Daniel says, this is what you need to do, king. This is what you need to do. You need to repent. You need to stop sinning. You need to show mercy. You need to practice righteousness. And then it ends. We don't know what the rest of the conversation was. Wouldn't you like to know what Nebuchadnezzar said? <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know that conversation? Did he say, okay, that's enough, you can leave now. But we don't know. The story just stops, and it picks up 12 months later. So let's see that. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar, he was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird claws. This powerful king, <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? I know some of you are looking at me like, oh, yes. God said this is going to happen, and it did. Exactly what he said. The king was walking on the roof, and he said, look what, did you catch it? What I have done by my power and for my glory. And God said, enough. Right that minute, a voice from heaven spoke and reminded Nebuchadnezzar of everything that the dream had said, how long it was going to last, about how he was going to be struck down. And 
to where he would think of himself as an animal. As I was researching this, I did see that there is an actual clinical condition uh, that's called clinical lycanthropy, and it's where a patient thinks that they are an animal. So it is very rare, it says, but I would assume it is treated in our world today somehow, probably with therapy and medication and all of that. But that's not what happened with King Nebuchadnezzar. What happened with him, he was in the field, lived there for seven periods of time, which was seven years, um, until he came to recognize who God was. But before we go on to the resolution of the story, I want you to take note of verse 29. At the end of 12 months is when he was walking on the palace. So he had the dream, and then 12 months later... This happened. Why do you think it was 12 months later? Maybe he took what Daniel said to heart. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe he did begin to repent. We don't really know. But we do know God's character. And God is patient. God is patient. And that is one of your blanks. Daniel told the king to repent, like Chuck said, to change his ways, to practice righteousness. And God waited. God gave Nebuchadnezzar 12 long months to humble himself before the Most High God. But when he didn't, and when he verbalized on the roof that he was the one that was mighty and powerful and glory was for him, God said, your time has expired. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I don't know. Todd and I are both very grateful for God's patience. (laughs) I bet the rest of you are as well. I'm so grateful. There have been so many times that God has been patient with me. But at some point, his patience is going to end, like it did with King Nebuchadnezzar. Our story hasn't ended, though. Let's keep reading. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him what have you done At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. 
again. Exactly what God said would happen, happened. The king lifted his eyes to heaven, confessed that God is indeed the most high, and his reason was restored. As I thought about it, to me, it's kind of a picture of the gospel story. Think it through with me. God created a beautiful world for us to lavish in, with the tree in the middle, no less. And yet man and woman, in their pride, wanted all the glory, all the power, all the knowledge from that tree. So they were banished from the kingdom. And they lived like animals, no longer as friends with God. But God sent Jesus. And when we look to him, the son of the most high God, and bow before him as Savior and Lord, that once lost kingdom is restored. <laughs> Makes you want to join with Nebuchadnezzar in praising God, doesn't it? <laughs> it? It's kind of a picture of it. And Nebuchadnezzar sums up the story with the simple truth at the very end. He says, I'm praising the king of heaven because all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. King Nebuchadnezzar was definitely humbled. And yet this man who was humbled to the point of seven years as an animal knew that that punishment was not too severe. It was right. All your ways are right, he said. My friends, God is patient, but God is also just. His discipline in the king's life, just like his discipline in mine and yours, is right. Though it's painful, it is always right because God is a God of justice. The God most high is just. But I said we were going to cover chapter 5 also, and we have lots of blanks to fill in. So if you thought chapter 4 was crazy with the man living as an animal for seven years, chapter 5 is a bit interesting as well. Let's go back to our time chart to kind of um, remind us of where we are. I've just added one little thing to it. Um, now, uh, about 20-ish years, a little more than 20 years have passed, and Belshazzar is now ruling. Um, and King Nebuchadnezzar, actually, I have this, I don't know if this will even make sense to you, but I'm not going to attempt to say these names, so you can read them. That's why it's here, because I'm not going to say them. If somebody knows how to say them all, feel free. <laughs> Um, but a lot had happened in these 20 years since the dream. King Nebuchadnezzar had died, and he left his son in power, and his son only reigned for two years before his son, his son was killed by the brother-in-law. The brother-in-law um, then ruled for four years. He died, and then his son came to rule, that guy ruled only two months before he was assassinated. And then Nabonidus, if that's how you say it, I don't know. Did I say it right? Okay, all right. Um, he, um, he came to power. 
But he was a king who liked to build things and conquer. So he traveled his empire, if you will, quite a bit. He led armies against other nations. And he built and restored temples to the pagan gods all across the area. And so because of this, he appointed his son, Belshazzar, as co-regent. So this meant that Belshazzar had the authority and the power of his father, Nabonidus, who was the actual king. They were both called kings. They were a shared power co-regent. Okay? All right. Daniel 5, verses 1 through 4. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Hmm. Yes. Hmm. We talked about the culture being one of desecration in our first week. I mean, think about it. They took God's sacred things and they used them for their own, to satisfy their own sensual pleasures, and then... They used them in worship of these false gods. It sounds like a pretty wild party. A thousand of his lords and their wives and their concubines drinking wine. One thing I read described it as more like an orgy than a party, than a feast. In fact, Larkin in his book of Daniel said, oops, what a, uh, maybe I didn't do that on slide. Maybe it's on your handout. Uh, Larkin in his book of Daniel says, There is no feast like it recorded in all history. This feast was the turning point in the history of Babylon. It marked the transition from the head of gold to the arms and breast of silver of that image from the dream last week. But even more surprising to me was that that feast, while it was happening, Babylon was actually being attacked there were enemies coming against them. But Belshazzar, the king, wasn't the least bit worried. Remember I showed you the graphic or the list of how safe Babylon was? He was, like, he was fine. He said, we're fine. We've got these walls. We've got these gates. We've got these towers. We're fine. Plenty of food, plenty of water. So he just partied on and continued desecrating those sacred things. Yes, Yes. That is exactly what they did. I'm not sure if you all heard that, but that's how the, these, um, they actually diverted the riverbed or, and came through the river to get to them because there was no other way. So that's how they conquered them eventually. Um, in what we just read, it also talked about Nebuchadnezzar, his father, just... Just kind of as an aside, that, that wasn't his actual father. Remember, his actual father is Nabonidus. But it's more like saying, Abraham, our father. Or it was like an ancestor, his, that kind of thing. 
Um, I've lost my place here. Give me a second. Ah. Belshazzar, the taking of the fine vessels, the vessels of God. I mean, he had vessels he could use. He was the king. He was a co-regent. He could have used anything, but he wanted those. He specifically asked for the vessels that had been brought from Jerusalem. It kind of shows his mindset. He wanted what he wanted when he wanted it, and he got it. It didn't matter that they were sacred items. It didn't matter that they were to be used in worship of the holy God. They drank from them. They used them in their feast and to worship and praise these false ones. And I'm saying that because I want to make a point about the culture. Let's think about back to Nebuchadnezzar, his pride and his egotistical behavior. That was chapter 4. Here in chapter 5, Belshazzar doesn't really care who he offends. He wants a feast even during an assault of his city, so he has a feast. He wants the holy God stuff, so he uses it. That's evidence of pride, too. So I've bounced back and forth about what word to put about the culture. And it could be prideful. It could be egotistical. But what I settled on, you can put whatever you want, but what I settled on was self-absorbed. The culture was self-absorbed. For Nebuchadnezzar, it was all about him and his glory and his power. Remember the I, my, me? For Belshazzar, it was all about his own desires and how he wanted to fulfill those no matter what, no matter who. Do you see that in our world today? (laughs) Doesn't it? Yeah. We're so focused on what makes me happy. How can I get ahead? Well, I deserve this. Nobody understands me. I'm right, you're wrong. You owe me. I'm entitled to this. I, me, my. We sound like Nebuchadnezzar on that rooftop. And when we focus so much on our own desires, how we can have our needs met, our own accomplishments, never ends well for us or for anyone around us. Didn't for King Nebuchadnezzar. And as we're about to see, it didn't for Belshazzar either. Let's keep going. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. This is an understatement. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. I mean, yes. Of course, it's not an understatement. It's God's word. It's perfect. But to me, I'm like, he was like, oh my goodness. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. So then the queen, and it was probably 
um, Belshazzar's mother, so like the queen mother is probably who it was, because of the words of the king and his lords, she heard them in there, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. So, what a sight. Here in this banquet hall, thousands of people in there. The fingers of an actual human hand comes and writes something on the wall. Shock must have settled in, just rippled through the whole crowd. The queen heard the ruckus, comes running in and said, let's get Daniel. He can help. Look what she says about Daniel. Verse 12, excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding. In verse 11, wisdom, understanding, and light. Light. I was so curious to see what it meant in the original language. I looked it up. You ready? It means light. (laughs) Yeah, light. That was it. Now, I think some translations kind of infer what it might have meant, and they might use, yours might say, illuminate or illumination. But it actually, the word actually means light. It's only used this one time in Scripture, But I just don't think we can miss it that what this pagan queen mother saw in Daniel, prophet of the Most High God, was light. And I just can't help but think of what Jesus said. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand and it gives Light to all the house. And Daniel was light. Light from the most high God. And he gave light to the kings, the palace. From the beginning of his time in Babylon, Daniel didn't hide that light. Remember, he chose not to defile himself with the king's food. He spoke honestly to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel was light in a very dark place. May we be like Daniel, because Daniel shined. Let me summarize the next chunk. Daniel came before the king, and the king asked him to read and tell what the words meant and why it was on the wall. The king said, I will give you a great reward if you just tell me. Now, some scholars um, think that the words might have been written in some uh, uh, very script-like font, or maybe the letters were smushed together so that they couldn't read them. Others think, well, maybe they really could read the words, but they just didn't understand what they meant. 
regardless, even if they could read them, which I don't think they could because it says they couldn't read or interpret them. Um, it, it, it did make sense to them. So Daniel said, just keep your gifts. I'll tell you what it means. But before he told him, he reminded the king of what had happened to Nebuchadnezzar. I think that's interesting that he reminded him way back. Remember your ancestor, Nebuchadnezzar, what happened? He'd been a powerful, great leader filled with pride, but God humbled him by making him live like an animal until he chose to humble himself. I mean, he went through all of it. And then verse 22 says, And you, his son, Belshazzar, you have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Then from his presence, the hand was sent and the writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Many, many tekel and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Many, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Daniel was given wisdom from God to read and translate those words, which literally meant numbered, numbered, way divided. Numbered, numbered, way divided. And Daniel told him, even though you saw what happened with King Nebuchadnezzar, you still wouldn't humble yourself. So your kingdom, your days have been counted, and they're over. You've been weighed and measured and found wanting, so you will be divided from this kingdom. Well, Belshazzar gave the command. Daniel was clothed with purple. Sorry, I'm... A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, about 62 years old. You see God's justice here? You wouldn't bow. You use my vessels to feed your self-absorption. Your kingdom ends now. The very night he was killed. And just as Chuck said, history tells us they came in through the river, drained the river Euphrates, marched their soldiers in through that riverbed. And that victory occurred for the Medes while the king partied. And God was sending a message. Those enemies were digging under there. Okay, we have most of our blanks filled in. The culture was self-absorbed. Daniel was honest. Daniel shone or shined. Sorry, I couldn't decide if it was shown or shined. So I guess I have it both places. Um, God is patient. God is just. And our last one, God will be honored. In both the story of Nebuchadnezzar and the story of Belshazzar, it talked about how they did not honor God. 
They chose to focus on themselves and not God. In fact, the last verse, verse 22, or verse 23, I guess, the end of verse 23, it says, The God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. That's what Daniel said. You have not honored him. And he holds your life in his hands. But I want to tell you, God will be honored. He is the Almighty God. He is worthy of worship and praise. And one day there will be no waffling. He will demand it. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He will be honored. So what about us? Is there a speck of self-absorption lingering in our own hearts? Do we crave that glory and honor that belongs only to God? Don't let it consume you. Don't let it consume us. Those thoughts are kind of like the enemy digging in under the walls. Let's not test God's patience. Let's remain focused on who God really is, God Most High, the sovereign, just God. And let's let our lives shine so that we can illuminate the, those around us with the truth of God and God alone. As 2 Timothy 1.17, 1 Timothy 1.17 says, To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we want to honor you. Pride is such a dangerous thing in all of our lives. So we ask you, Father, to point that out when we have those moments of self-absorption. That is not what we want. We want to honor you. So I pray that you would gain glory from each of our lives individually and us as a church. To you alone, Father the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, to you may honor and glory be forever and ever. Amen. Questions or comments?